We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna. Difficult to overcome. And easy to say after the fact that Carr either shouldn't have been in there or should have just been handing the ball off. That's hindsight. Unfortunately for the Raiders, it'll be Matt McGloin. That one bounces in and the Bills goes to get it. Now Gillisley tracks it down in the end zone. You can't let it go. That's a touchdown. Yeah. What are the Bills doing? Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I'm your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear, and that's my producer, Chris Griver, and that was Andrew Catalan from CBS Sports. Sums up the Bills season pretty good there. Oh my God. What are the Bills doing? <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same, I guess. I mean, a disappointing season for Bills fans all over the world comes to a close, and I've got to admit something. It felt really good to start the new year by drinking three bottles of champagne Laughing with my buddies in my basement, just down in the bar, the old fortress of solitude, and holding on to the knowledge that Sunday's performance is the last of that type that I'll have to watch for at least a few months. Until nine months, till September. People could have a baby in the amount of time that I'm not going to have to be haunted by another performance like that. You got you got to find the levity in it, folks. Otherwise, it, like if I couldn't find something in this to laugh about, my teeth would turn around and start to devour my brain. And on that note, we are going to we're going to kick off the podcast as we always do with this this week's Bills news update. First and foremost, one of the biggest pieces of news to break this week was that for the first time in his career, Doug Whaley has been put in charge of heading up a head coaching search. And it's becoming clear that it's going to be his decision alone to find the right person. You know, according to John Warrow of the AP, Russ Brandon will have no involvement in the head coaching decision at all. Now, Russ is a guy that takes a lot of heat in the eyes of fans. And the last head coach he was involved in selecting, look at the look at his record. Doug Marone, Rex Ryan. Who else was he here for, Chris? 
Well, he's been here for 17. I know, but but as far as like a real leadership years. role on this team, what other coaching, what, what other hires was he involved in? Was it just those two? Because I would assume he was involved with all of them. Dick Jaron, Chain Gailey. I mean, what I do know is that those two, the, the most recent ones, I know his handprints and fingerprints are all over him, and they both failed to get any anything meaningful accomplished. Right? The message here is pretty clear. It's on Whaley now to show that he can do the job of a GM and find someone who can come in here and win consistently with no assistance, or I guess you could call it hindrance, depending on how you want to see it, from the rest of the front office figures like Russ Brandon, uh, Overdorf. You know, the, those are names that have become synonymous with failure in the eyes of Bills fans for the last decade and a half. Right or wrong? No, that's correct, but Russ Brandon's M.O. is marketing the team to the entire Western New York region. Oh, absolutely. He and I'll say this. Russ, Russ, Russ Brandon hand. never should have had a hand in anything. Him being a temporary GM was a joke. The fact, the fact is, Russ Brandon is a guy who has done a lot for this football team. I'm not going to try to diminish what he's done for us. There's a reason that he, he holds the position within Pagula Sports Entertainment that he does. For everyone out there who wants to paint the guy as just some kind of crackpot, he may be responsible for the team still being here. He found ways when we were not a marketable team, we couldn't win anything. And I mean, arguably, you could say we still don't. But he found a way to sell it. He found a way to put asses in seats. And for what it's worth, yeah, as a fan, that's not exactly what you want to hear. But as a, as a business owner, guys like that are invaluable to you. People pan the Toronto, the whole Toronto thing, which I thought was a joke. It was terrible. It took a home game away from us and put it in a place where no one gave a damn except for the away fans. But ultimately, that kind of buoyed the franchise for a while. I mean, we things were weren't good financially for us. No one knew what was going to happen with Ralph Wilson, but he found a way to find another stream of revenue to help keep the team afloat. Well, how many how many fans come over from Hamilton, Fort Erie to come to games? A lot, but not that many. Yeah, but and now you give those people a home game in their country, and you know we got a bunch of money for it and got out of that deal. But 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 that was the thing. He found a way to talk the owners of the Rogers Center into putting this show on. They paid us to go there. You know, again, as a purist, as a season ticket holder, it was infuriating. But looking back at it, Russ Brandon is good at one thing, and that's being involved with public relations. Okay, he is a he. I would call him a PR genius for all the work that he's been able to do to continue selling this football team over the course of the last decade. But as him being involved with important front office decisions, it's good to see that that maybe that's finally starting to you know come to an end. Maybe he's starting to just transition into that position that he, I think he's best suited for, which is him overseeing both sports teams and running the PR aspects of both of them. I mean, Chris, can you agree with that? Yeah, he's awesome at marketing. I, don't, I told you before we started recording, I don't want Russ Brandon's hand in the football cookie jar. Oh, God, no. No, and it's good to see that the Pagulas are moving on from that. You know, it shows it shows promise. It shows that maybe they're growing as owners. Next up in the news is Kyle Williams talking about possible retirement. Now, before Sunday's game, Kyle Williams spoke with Andrew Catalan from CBS Sports, 
and expressed that he's unsure about his future in the NFL. I mean, we watched it all season. He's, he's played phenomenal. He looked like vintage Kyle Williams this year. But at the same time, he's doing it. I mean, last year he had the ankle injury. This year he came back, and I guess he's been struggling with a back injury for most of the season. Yeah, back injury from carrying the defense. <laughs> so he's had this back injury for weeks that finally has just flared up to a point where he wasn't even able to practice, but he found a way to get out there on game day. I mean, he's played through a lot over the last few years of his career. And he made the comment to Andrew Catalan that if the front office decided to completely blow up the roster and commit to a full-blown rebuild, it would significantly weigh in on his decision as to whether or not he wants to continue playing football. He's been in the league, what, 10, 11 years? He's 33 years old, I believe. So I think it's like 10, 11 years, yeah. 12 years. Never played in the playoffs. He's, no. The dude deserves to be in the playoffs. It would be an absolute travesty for Kyle Williams to retire after spending his entire career here in Buffalo and having never seen a postseason game. I mean, on the flip side of things, you got to look at his cap hit. If he doesn't retire, he accounts for $8.3 million against the Bills' 2017 salary cap. That, in and of itself, combined with his age and his injury history, could ultimately force the team to make a decision on him if he does decide that he wants to continue playing. It's, it's a shrewd business. And unfortunately, paying $8.3 million, he is the heart and soul of our defense. You can say he's probably, arguably, the, the biggest leader on our entire roster. You know, I look at when I think of a leader, I think of Kyle Williams, you know, one, maybe Eric Wood, two. You know, he's that guy in the offense that kind of is that elder statesman in the room. But unfortunately, the NFL is a business and you can't it's not good business in the NFL to throw eight point three million dollars worth of your cap space at a 33 year old defensive tackle who's coming off two seasons where he'll admit that he was never 100 percent. Correct, and we've even talked about it in the offseason that this could be his last year in which he put on one of his best performances of his career this year. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's just sad to me to think that we may have seen the last season of Kyle Williams in a Buffalo Bills jersey. And then, in more depressing news, the Buffalo Bills lock up the number 10 pick in the draft. Sunday's loss helped the Bills in only one category. You know, you take a look at it and you say, well, it was a giant poke in the eye for everybody who thought that we'd get to see E.J. Manuel come out and show what he is as a quarterback. Or that Cardell Jones was going to come out and, you know, I don't know, do shock the world and prove that he was going to be the savior to the Bills quarterback hopes. I don't know. There was people out there I saw all over social media who thought that that was going to be something that happened. So after the game, you sit there, or even just people who wanted to see what Anthony Lynn had as a coach to say, okay, let's see how Anthony Lynn calls the game from the sideline or how he you know, gets this team prepared. I walked away with only one positive note, our draft stock. Because of the way the other games across the NFL broke on Sunday, the Bills now own the number 10 pick in the draft. I mean, there's the, the, you when you whenever you draft in the top ten, you have the chance to pick up a player who could cement you as a franchise. I know we we're going to get into it a lot in the off season. I saw one mock draft Matt Miller Bleacher Report had Deshaun Watson. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen between now and draft day, but 
I think the most surprising thing to me about all of this is that just a few weeks ago, we were sitting here talking about playoff hopes. We were talking about, oh, if we can just pull this one game out and then maybe string a win or two here, we'll be in the postseason. And somehow over the course of five weeks, we are now sitting here as the owners of a top 10 pick in the draft. Is that not crazy? Am I? <laughs> it's quite, it's quite billsy of us. Oh, and I'll tell you God right. God bless them, though. God bless the Bills. I mean, you know what? If you were gonna, if you were gonna miss the playoffs, thank you for landing me a top ten selection. My position on this, and we're gonna get into it over the next couple weeks. I'm gonna state it right now. Trade down. No, you're right. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different ways we could go with this. You know, having a quality pick like this in the draft, and there, there's there's a lot of opportunity. You know, it breeds opportunity, and that's that's something we're gonna get into over the next few weeks. You know, next couple months. But one thing just sticks out as ironic to me that they they came here to Buffalo last year and we beat them. I don't want to say in embarrassing fashion, but I mean, we embarrassed them. Given our depleted roster at the time and everything else that we had going on. And then this week we went there and they they just returned the favor. And so as we're speaking about our loss to the New York Jets, we've got a special guest in the show tonight to help him through the wreckage here. Arcade Collector. Donut Connoisseur. Strongbow Hard Cider Enthusiast. AFC East Bros Podcast. Gary Smith. Let's get to the Gary, welcome to the Rock Power Report. How are you doing tonight? What's happening, fellas? What not, is happening? Not a happy New Year, brother. Happy New Year. No, we'd have to do. We know what we have to do is bring in the New Year with you. One second. Oh boy. Yeah, he's been waiting all night for this. Oh, here we go. Yep. You we had- can't do it, Gary, without some angry orchard. Oh, uh, <laughs> crack one open for me, fellas. Here we go. There we go. So we're sipping an angry orchard. Uh, I'm talking to our buddy Gary Smith here, a co-host of the AFC East Bros podcast. <laughs> so I'm going to run you down, and you know we're going to get into this uh, Jets disaster game that we had here. Uh, we're going to kind of go over it as we do every week. We're going to open up with the stats of the game. What jumped off the paper to me when just looking <laughs> at the garbage that came out on Monday about this? EJ Manuel, 9 of 20, 45% completion percentage 86 yards two sacks one fumble and a 57.5 quarterback rating cardale jones 6 of 11 54 completion 96 yards one touchdown and one sack or no excuse me one interception and one sack a 46.0 rating yeah and you guys don't want to keep tyrod taylor after hearing both of that oh no listen i've seen the light my friend all right, thank you. Ryan Please. Fitzpatrick, 20 of 30, 66% completion percentage, 210 yards, two touchdowns, and zero picks, a 109 rating. Bilal Powell, 22 rushes, 122 yards, three catches, one touchdown, compared to all of the Bills running backs who got together for 28 rushes, 68 yards, and one touch. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Listen, 
when I was watching that game, I didn't care at that point. I really, honestly, I I wanted to see something, but at the same token, I already knew. You know what it had to remind me of? Remember the game in 2010, the Brian Brom versus Mark Brunel game? And in, in, in I believe it was the Giants stadium or first year at MetLife. That's what that game felt like to me. It just felt like, who cares? Oh, no. It, it, I'll tell you, my girlfriend said it multiple times. Chris was there. He was all hungover, hanging out with me in the basement on New Year's Day. I drank three bottles of champagne and God knows what else after the fact. But I just casually sipped my way through the morning and afternoon. Yeah. And, and the hilarious thing was that everyone who was watching the game with me kept just commenting on the fact that they're like, Drew, you haven't, you're not yelling. You're yeah. yelling at the TV. You haven't knocked over any chairs yet. You're not screaming profanity. Nope. I got nothing. I was relaxed because a part of me was nervous. A part of me was nervous heading into that game that the Bills were going to come out and, you know, kind of flounder their way through it. But they couldn't even give me that. Yeah. I, I mean, they came out and just showed that they did. They had no interest in playing in that football game. And so at that point, mm-hmm. if they don't care, why should I care? Yeah, was that a team that packed in or not? I mean, oh, man. That was just – I mean, and what sums it up is the the Mike Gillisley kickoff return. Like, yeah. not picking that up, it's to just, me, just showed me. <laughs> it's, they it, don't care at this point. So Gary. We opened a, the show with yeah, it in it the was, intro. It was a 65-yard onside kick. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. And, and, and you never see that in the NFL. Never. So, and uh, sure, sure enough, the Bills had it done to them. Oh, of course, fantastic! And that—that's that, the thing. That, that was the that was. Oh man, let's just go ahead and get into this recap. First off, I mean, the thing that jumped out to me, and the one thing that I noticed was just the most pressing part of this entire game was the quarterback situation and just the disappointment that it brought. I mean, wow. when it got announced that Tyrod Taylor was going to be benched and that EJ Manuel was going to start on Sunday, there was mixed reactions. You know, on social media, you had, you had fans who were out there just – some of them were optimistic. You know, they saw it as a shrewd move by our front office, which isn't wrong. I mean, no. they're, they're, when you consider that Derek Carr and uh, Marcus Mariota just broke their legs <laughs> in the same day just a week or so ago. Right. You know, when you see something like that happen as a front office, you have to take notice and say, okay, this is a real thing that can happen. And so are we going to – if, Ty- if Tyrod Taylor had been injured in that game, his contract would have been guaranteed. And at that point, we wouldn't have – kind of like the San Francisco 49ers and um, Colin Kaepernick this year. You know, they didn't necessarily want him there, but they couldn't afford to cut him because his contract was guaranteed because of his shoulder injury. So our front office looked at it, you know, and some people were excited about that. They said, okay, it shows some competency by our front office to say, hey – Let's not tie ourselves to this guy unnecessarily by letting him play in a game that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And then some people were pessimistic, calling it a Bush League move, a slight to Taylor and his representatives, and kind of an indication that they weren't serious about winning the game. Now, how did you feel about it? Uh, you know what? All the above. I mean, you can look at it and, and look at it and say, hey, I completely get the contract. And it's a, guys, you got to remember, it's a business first. So they're always looking at their bottom dollar. And, and, you know, if this guy gets injured, his, his money is fully guaranteed. And so I saw – I completely saw that. And also I looked at it as like, well, you know, we do have to make a decision on him as well. 
let's see what EJ got. We could probably get him cheap if you know it's two years in the system. We want to see what we have with Cardell Jones. Um, you know, this game means diddly squat. Let's see what they got, you know, and and we saw that. And we also <laughs> we learned we learned we learned right then and there that Tyrod is better than the standard. He's better than the standard. I'm not saying he's the best, but he's a competent quarterback. You can certainly say that he would do better than 10 points. And that's oh, that wide open Charles Clay play. Now listen, how bad is EJ Manuel? Well, that I was mean, it. I mean, right, you hit the nail on the head. Tyrod Taylor sees de- right now him and his agent are probably see, he's already probably counting his money at home. Oh, yeah. Because he, he knows he, he any anybody who watched that football game, every Bills fan. I mean, Gary, I'm sure you've heard it. Your show takes call-ins. We don't. Yeah. So I'm sure that you guys have heard it at some point in time over the course of this season that everyone needs to see what Cardale Jones has. Everyone needs to see what he has. Everyone wants to see what he is. They're excited about him. They want him to get a shot to start. And then by the same token, I heard Chris and I, Chris can vouch for it. We heard some guy behind us at training camp talking about how during the preseason, this guy honestly believed that EJ Manuel was the most talented quarterback on our roster. Oh God! I remember. I remember you bringing up saying that when I was in Buffalo, and I, I would like to know what drug that guy is on because you need to get me some of that. Oh, because, absolutely! I would. I I would line up for that. I mean, yeah. you've got that miss pass to Charles Clay. That is undisputably a touchdown. If it's a better thrown it ball, is, if it's an NFL you know, throw, that's a touchdown all day, and he walks into the end zone. Yeah, our boy Kyle Fahey can make that 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 throw. <laughs> yeah, and yet he finds a way to screw that up. Then. He went on to have four passes, E.J. Manuel did, that didn't land in the vicinity of anybody. He had four balls throughout the course. I was rewatching the game, just drinking, laughing about it. He had four balls that landed without a without not even like a, okay, he threw it and the only players there were the safeties. He threw four balls that landed where nobody else on the field was. I would have, yeah. I would have taken intentional grounding there. Just because that's a loss of down, and I wouldn't have to see EJ for another play. <laughs> and then he come. What were you going to say, Gary? You know, the best thing about it, guys, we can sit here and we can laugh about this because we've become numb to it over the years. <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I expected nothing more for this to happen. Steve, like I, Steve Tasker had a line during during Sunday's uh, <laughs> Sunday's broadcast that just made me laugh because it's right. They said after it was about the fourth quarter of the game, and they were talking about just the dismal performance by the Bills. And Steve Tasker goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, by now though, he goes, Bills fans are about ninety percent scar tissue. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the God's honest truth. And you know what? You know what, guys? I always make the mistake, and I think a lot of Bills fans. And you know, Drew, you and I had a lengthy conversation on the phone uh, several months ago. How optimistic we were about this season. Mm-hmm. Especially the Arizona game. Oh, yeah. We, we, we felt great going into that. And we do this to ourselves every year. We look at how talented our roster is, and we always go in with not high expectations, but some expectations. I could tell you right here, right now, you guys being my friends, I'm going in this offseason with no expectations to low expectations. Oh, come on, Gary. You got it. See, see but that's the thing. You're saying it. No to low expectations, but you're lying to yourself because you know and I know that when you start watching tape and you start getting pumped for the draft, it comes back. It's a sickness, and we both have Drew, it. Drew, you know me too well. You you, <laughs> you speak Bill's language. You, you're calling me out 
on your show, man. And and you know what? You may be right. I, I can't I can't deny that <laughs> one bit. So so and then and then you look at Cardale Jones. Okay, so we move on from EJ. We watch him fumble in our territory to set up a Jets touchdown. We watch him just basically suck for most of the day. I mean, I, there's no way to sugarcoat it. He was he was not a good quarterback. He had what 86 yards passing in total. That's through three quarters. After that fumble and after just the inability of the offense to sustain any kind of momentum, he comes off the field. Cardale Jones gets put in, and you know everyone gets excited again. So I perk up and I say, "Oh, okay, all right, let's let's see this." Yeah, yeah. He is exactly who I expected him to be at this point in his career. Part of me was hoping for a miracle, but what I saw is that he's exactly as he's been described. He's a project. You, yeah. you could see the arm talent on that pass to Justin Hunter. Oh my God, it was a laser. You could see the fact that he can throw the ball through, like. He can put so much velocity on it. Yeah, he could he could throw a shoestring, man. It's unbelievable. But then at the same time, you watched him skip the ball in the dirt a handful of times on easy, just you know, easy either crossing patterns or easy, you know, just what should be routine throws. Yeah. So it's one of those things where who is he? Well, I'll tell you. When I watched him at training camp, I can say that I saw him play at training camp. He was not very good. One yeah. of his biggest problems in training camp was that, I mean, and this is just the God's honest truth. Chris and I sitting there watching him play. He was playing catch. They were warming up. You know, they throw the ball back and forth to the trainer. He was standing at the 50-yard line and was just flicking his wrist with no effort and sending the ball into the end zone. He was throwing ropes. But at the same not time. Not accurately. But, but, but at the same time, he was two out of three. You know, if you figure all the passes he's thrown, I'd say he was every he would miss one out of every three passes yeah. to a guy who's standing still, and that's something that he's going to have to work on. And you saw that inaccuracy kind of rear its head during that Jets game. Yeah, he's not a finished product and for Bills fans to think that. But but here's the this is the thing I find the most encouraging thing about Cardell Jones, and this might not be saying much. As big of a project as he is, he's still better than EJ Manuel. And I believe I believe you go into the offseason knowing that, hey, Cardell can possibly win you a game or two if our starting quarterback goes down. I don't think that we need to really reinvest in that position. Maybe another veteran, but definitely not EJ Manuel. I think that well, the no. front office of the Bills organization <clears throat> was thinking before that game when they made the decision to play EJ hey, we could probably get him on the cheap and, and re-sign him. But uh, I don't think so now after that. They're probably looking, well, Cardell's the better option. No, and you know what? I, I agree to a point. I think that if you think that you can come in here next year and keep some kind of continuity, you know, let's say you're not declaring this a full-blown rebuild. You think that you're coming into next season, then you absolutely have to go out and get a veteran I still don't think Cardale is good enough to be our sole backup because if something happens to our starter, I don't know that I try. I trust him to maybe win a game, but probably not. And yeah. you can't do that because that sends a message to the rest of the players on the team that you're wasting a season of their careers. What I think, I think my ultimate takeaway from watching the quarterback performances on Sunday is that Tyrod, the Tyrod Taylor decision just became so much more important to this franchise Whereas I thought it would be easy to move on from him, and I guess I'm, mis- I guess I've 
grown accustomed to watching Tyrod play to a point that I, I kind of lost sight of what we've been like at quarterback for the last decade. And yeah. I got to see it on Sunday. And I can tell you that for as much as I, I, I'll repent, I will get down on, I will get down on my knees and repent in front of everybody out there right now for all of the, for all of the grief that I've given Tyron Taylor this season, last season, throughout his career. I've now seen what the other side looks like and where I came from, and I don't want to go back to that. Yeah, who wants to go back to that? So I listen, do. You know, Higher draft pick. Yeah. No, no, Chris. This is the bottom line: is this that we need a better defense? Listen, our defense can't get much more worse than it's already been. No. So we need a better defense, and we need to just constantly make playmakers around. We need the Charles Clays. We need the LaShawn McCoys. We need someone besides a hobbled-up Sammy Watkins. We need to continue mm-hmm. to build talent around him. Mm-hmm. And listen, the offense was not the problem this year. Listen, 29 touchdowns. Sixth all-time in the NFL that, that, that stands. And this is the Bills' record for touchdowns. The offense is not the problem, fellas. It's clearly on the other side of the ball, but we need to build more around Tyrod. Bottom line. Gary, can I ask you? Can I ask you this? Because apparently, two weeks ago, when I asked Drew this, it was the most annoying, stupid question I've ever asked <laughs> in the history of doing podcasts. I had asked Drew, and he legitimately got up from the table from it because he thought it was so dumb. Is our defensive roster better suited for a four-three or a three-four? You know what? I would say that the way the track record shows that under Jim Schwartz, when he ran the wide nine, that was probably the best our defense has looked in a while. Let the corners play up and press. You know, what have we been hearing the last couple of years with, with Rex Ryan's defense from, from Mario Williams, from Marcel Darius? And listen, I, I'm not a fan of these guys whining about it, but everything's too complicated. I think you just got to let the guys go out and play. And it seems like, you got a 3-4 with all these twists and stunts and blitz and, you know, exotic zones and whatnot. It doesn't work. You just – sometimes you got to let these guys play. And listen, not every player is from Stanford out in the field. No. You know, I don't, I, don't know if you heard of, I don't know if you heard a Zach Brown interview lately, but he doesn't sound like the most highly educated guy. No, 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 not at all. But um, who was it, Chris, who, who – uh, Bart Scott called out Marcel Darius. Marcel Darius said that the – the the playbook on defense wasn't aggressive enough and that it was too complicated. And Bart Scott's reaction to that was that, well, we can't write it in crayon for you, Marcel. Yeah. <laughs> we can't but but he's got a point. There's he's certain, got a point, and I'm hundred percent on board with Bart Scott. There's but certain, the same token, but Bart this is Scott who we is have. A, is a Rex guy. He's a Rex guy. He's gonna go to Rex's defense. Well the way I look at it is this. There's there's a thing that was working. And then we tried to basically take a square, uh, you know, a square peg and put it in a round hole. Rex yeah. got here and tried to build something using the pieces we had. But what we had was a top five defense, and what we're left with is mediocre. Yeah. So I don't know. I just I think about the Vikings as soon as Mike Zimmer got there. You know, Mike yeah. Zimmer showed up, and all of a sudden the Vikings defense became this attacking. Just very aggressive four three defense, and you you've seen what they've been since then. They won the division last year. They started off this season four and zero before they were decimated up front by injuries. It 
you can do a lot of good things with an aggressive, just instinctive defense. If you try to make it too complicated, yeah, you have you can do it. You just have to find the right players for it. And that's a very difficult task for any franchise to undertake, yeah. much less build from scratch. So, But that brings me to my next point, coaching change. So Anthony Lynn, Anthony Lynn's first game, there was, I don't know what everyone expected. There was some good, there was some bad, and there was some ugly. And Gary, I want to go over each one of those categories with you. First and foremost, the good. The Jets got a handed short fields to work with on multiple occasions. But when they got in close, our defense was able to step up and hold them to field goals. Right. And also multiple fourth down stops. I mean, the Jets had nothing to play for, so they kept going for it. I mean, they had nothing to lose, so they kept going for it. And we found a way multiple times to shut them down on fourth and short. Yeah. I mean, that in and of itself has to be a positive, right? Yeah. You know what? You can't draw too many positives out of that game. And I didn't look too deep into that game either. It seemed like a Bills team that was already thinking about what they're going to do next Sunday during brunch time. Uh, I can tell you this right now. What I was encouraged about, the most, the biggest thing I was encouraged about was hearing the, the report that Adolphus Washington got benched this game. I said to myself, all right, it's about darn time because, you know, to me, I like Adolphus Washington in the third round. I just didn't feel like he was a finished product. He flashed early in the season. He was able to get some pressures. He needs to develop in the strength department. But it just seemed like to me, every time we put number 94, Jarrell Worthy, on the field, that he was highly more productive and was always in the backfield. And it just seemed like, mm-hmm. well, Adolphus Washington's a Rex guy. He wanted that in the third round. They, uh, they, they moved up to get him. So I, to me, I was just like, Ah, thank God. Thank God Anthony Lynn's being a, a disciplinarian. That was the that was the biggest thing I want. Don't get me wrong. I want to co- I want a coach that has some balls to him. I think Anthony Lynn's that guy. But I also want a stern and tough coach. Oh, absolutely. No, you have to have that. And that's one of the things I took a look at. You know, I kind of dug. Apparently, Adolphus Washington, according to Pro Football Focus, he's been he's been mediocre to just bad. For yeah. The last like three or four weeks of the season, and yet yeah. he kept getting snaps. He kept seeing playing time because for some reason Rex liked this guy. But it, like it, you said, Jarrell Worthy. I've liked Jarrell Worthy ever since he played at Michigan State. I yeah. wanted to draft him, but the Packers took him. Yeah, he kind of bounced around. I was very excited to see him land on this roster, and for most of the year, he's been an afterthought. Even when the guys in front of him have struggled, it's like there's been no consequences for that. One of the things I, I compare this move to is kind of how Adam Gase, when he was over there with the Dolphins, he first took over. They struggled out of the gate this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they were a tire fire early on. And right. a lot of it revolved around their offensive line play. So as soon as he had guys who were healthy enough to come in and play over the backups that were taking some of the roles from some of the starters, he had guys fired. Week three of the season, he fired three of his offensive yeah. linemen. Why? Because he wanted to send a message to the rest of the locker room that being subpar will not be tolerated. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the things, you know, you hear the comments from Shady, you know, about, oh, you know, we need, you know, we need, we need a disciplinarian or we need someone who's going to be tougher on us. And you hear it from Sammy talking about how there needs to be more accountability. Well, there it is. There's your accountability. Here's a guy who, yeah, we took you in the third round, 
but you're playing poorly, so I'm going to give your time to some journeyman free agent. Why? Because you haven't earned it. I thought yeah. it was an off-the-bus starter. Yeah. Oh, no. And Adolphus Washington was talked about an off-the-bus starter. That's the, 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 yeah. was Doug Whaley's That's- phrase. But, again, yeah. this is him working with a coach who he knows wants that guy. And you know what? That's what I never liked about Rex Ryan too much was that he already paid guys as starters. Reggie Ragland already got the job without competing with Zach Brown. Shaq Lawson got the job. Adolphus Washington without competing with Corbin Bryant. They were already paid as starters. Those are Rex guys, and Rex seems to have a tendency to do that. He always says, well, I envision this guy working on my defense rather Mm -hmm. than letting – the chips fall where they may. And uh, and that's one thing I never liked about Rex is that he already put his stamp on a guy before we even see him hit the field. One of the last positives I could take away from this game is the fact that for the for the, only the second time in franchise history, we played a game without having a penalty accepted against us. Wow. I mean, that's, that's kind of impressive. Yeah, uh, especially for one of the most hem- heavily penalized teams <laughs> right. in the last 10 years. I mean, right. You got that right, but you got you could see. Listen, the refs were not throwing the laundry much in this game. Oh no, they wanted it over as fast as possible. That that's, game why, was, that's why they that weren't game throwing was flags. Flying. That's why they that's didn't. Want, that's why they weren't throwing flags. They wanted it over just as quickly I, as the rest of us did. Yeah, just like everyone at MetLife Stadium, they wanted that game to be over with. And so that brings me to the bad. The bad portion of this game, you know, anything that would fall into that category. I mean, I'm going to take your point and run with it. There was just a widespread lack of effort. You you could tell from the moment that the ball got snapped in the first quarter, there was just no, there was no urgency. There was no, they didn't look like, I mean, you've played football. I've played football. Those didn't look like guys who were playing to win. Yeah. Yeah. They, they really, I mean, lackluster would be an appropriate word, but Really, it was just horrendous. These guys are professionals. I know that this. I know it's the end of the year, and a lot of these guys. This is the thing that really we never point out. You look at Lorenzo Alexander. You look at Zach Brown, Stephon Gilmore, mm-hmm. uh, even some of the guys are special teams guys. I mean, there's a plethora amount. Jordan Mills. Um, they're all going to be street free agents. Brandon Spikes, Roman Harbor, Sergio Brown. I mean, these so guys are all. So at that point, are they just playing not to get hurt? Basically, and that's what I'm trying to get at is that Robert Woods, uh, I mean, the names go on and on. Mike Gillisley, EJ Manuel, even these guys are all looking for the next contract. And when they're saying that they're they're playing scared and and the bills have an unprecedented amount of unrestricted free agents coming up this offseason. Now, I, I, I will tell you this. A lot of these guys are expendable. Thank you. Thank you. I, I've heard people freak out about that for the last two weeks. Oh, we've got all these unrestricted free agents. Those guys were veteran depth brought in just to kick the tires on yeah, and see what I, they had. I don't, like I said, I don't believe that you lose a Brandon Spikes and you're up Shit's Creek. I don't believe you know you lose Jordan Mills and, and your season's over with. I believe that you have guys on the roster that could probably do just a capable job as them. I think that well, I'll be all things considered, and Sean Trell Henderson gets his head on straight. I believe he's an upgrade over Jordan Mills. Well, I think one of the hardest things, though, is that you just watch the guys. And I'm not even talking about the journeyman free agents. I'm talking about guys who have something to play for or are already under contract who right. just didn't show up. Marcel well, Darius, that, Marcel Darius finished the day with zero quarterback pressures and only two assisted tackles. Listen, Mr. Big Stuff, he made his money already, so you got to question him. It, 
I got to tell you this. When Marcel is on, he's on. When he's not, you could tell right away. I mean, there's games when he wants to dominate. There's, I, don't, I believe there's not a single offensive lineman that can block number 99 when he wants to take over. It's the fact getting him there. Well, and that's, and, and that's why you need that tough coach that's, that's going to push exactly, him to that point. And I believe that Rex is the wrong coach for players like that. And then, but then you look at it goes to the let's go to the offensive side of the ball. Mike Gillisley had zero broken tackles. Now you were a big touchdown. I owed you a case of Strongbow Hard Cider because I bet on a running back that I'd watched play. You know, I I liked James Wilder Jr. in the preseason. You were a Mike Gillisley fan, so we made a bet on who we thought would make the roster. And what I saw out of Mike Gillisley. Last year isn't what I saw of him this year. This year I saw a guy who runs tough, downhill runner, can take that first contact and get extra yards. He had zero broken tackles on Sunday. Yeah. None. Not a single one. Not a, not a single broken tackle. He went down at first contact every single time he was hit. Once again, here's another guy that it's his contract year. He's, let's face it. Mike Gillisley is going to make some money this offseason. I don't believe that the Bills are going to retain him um, because I think he will get paid from a team that, that sees his skill set. Uh, I don't know who that team's going to be. I could see maybe Cleveland overpaying for a Mike Gillisley, but, you know, averaging over six yards a carry, he, he's obviously got a good reputation of getting in the end zone. Mm-hmm. But here's another guy. He was, like you said, he was dropping on first contact. He was, I mean, completely falling down. Uh, you know, I could say one thing, and this has been all season long, 34 year old or 33 year old Lorenzo Alexander was playing his tail off that game and he's going to be a street free agent. So that's one thing I could say that, that, you know, out of all the street free agents that looked terrible that game, Lorenzo Alexander was playing. Oh no. And that's the thing, Lorenzo. And that's what this whole experiment was about. You bring in all of these veteran depth guys, and you see who plays well enough that they deserve a second contract here. Because you, yeah. you have to be cap conscious. You know, we're not a team that has fifty million dollars in cap room, so we have to kind of pick and choose who are the guys who are going to be here. So far, half of the team Sunday could have been. I mean, there was defensive players missing tackles left and right. Our offensive line wasn't getting a ton of push. I mean, I get it; they have one of the best D lines in the country, but. Good lord! It was just, it was just one of those yeah. games that you want to take it and you want to burn the tape and never watch it again. And that brings me to the ugly part of the afternoon. And Gary, you touched on it already. The fact that as all of you out there listening to the show right now heard in our open, I had to watch our team give up a sixty-five yard onside kick for a touchdown. What the fuck is that? What is that? My God, uh, you know. I've never had suicidal thoughts, but I tell you right now, when you watch plays like that, you definitely, you definitely, your your life uh, gets cut a little short every single time when you see a play like that. I just don't understand how a group of players can be so unfocused that you blow something that is so fundamental to the game of football. Yeah, and you know what? It, it kills me. I mean, our special teams. I do like Danny Crossman as our coach. I think that he. He's capable. I think he's a lot better than what we've seen under Doug Marone, or not Doug Marone, but uh, Chan Gailey and, and whatnot. Bruce DeHaven, God rest his soul. He was definitely, uh, you know, his last tenure with the Bills was not that good. No. 
Um, so I think he's better than what we've seen. It's amazing to me that Dan Carpenter still has a job, <laughs> you know, in a Bills uniform. But he won't yeah, for that, long. That that is unexcusable, and that right there is ground for termination in my book. And so I just don't. I, to, to further your point, for anyone, anyone out there, because I saw I saw some Mike Gillisley apologists out there who tried to say that you know it's possible that Gillisley didn't know that the ball was live. As a coach, how do you not know that your player that you're sending out there to field the kick return doesn't know that? Oh, my God. And that's why this week for our hero and zero of the game, Danny Crossman is my zero. Oh, there you go. Danny Crossman, you blew it. You put a guy out there who had no idea that he had to touch. This isn't a punt, Gillisley. It's a kickoff. It's a, that yeah. ball is live the moment it leaves the tee. The fact that he didn't know that his player didn't know that, you you got to be fired, right, Gary? Unexcusable. And, and, and let me tell you something. I don't know who our head coach is going to be, supposedly Anthony Lynn. I hope he, he looks – you know, guys like Aaron Cromer – or positives to the roster. Mm-hmm. I hope he keeps guys like that. Guys like Danny Crossman who keep giving Dan Carpenter third and fourth chances after easy field goals and not being able to coach up a guy or putting a guy out in a position where he has no idea what's going on. I hope he looks at positions like that and, and gives people the ax. No, no. I, I mean, I'm telling you. The, <laughs> the, the smartest decision Danny Crossman made all season was bringing their buddy Reed Ferguson into long snap and then talking the Bills into re-signing him to a futures contract this past week. Yeah, you know, Danny Crossman, like I said, for the most part, I do believe he's had, you know, I mean, let's face it. Without this rule being implemented this year with the kickoff, bringing a guy like Jordan Gay when we know that our – uh, kicker cannot get the ball downfield. Hey, maybe that's a smart move. I think it's it's good to play the field position, but God, you know, how can we cannot find a kicker that does both? <laughs> Someday, Gary. Someday. Someday. Hey, hey, the the word on the street is Roberto Aguayo might be cut if he can't make the if he can't win a competition next year in training camp. Maybe we yeah. go get that guy. I don't want him either. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but luckily for us, folks, this isn't. I know we've all just—it's just been doom and gloom over here with uh, a recap of the game. But I mean, with all due respect, it deserves it. There was a bright spot, and that brings us to our hero of the week. And this week, I went with Marcus Roberson. Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. Before yesterday, I had no idea who the hell Marcus Roberson was. I, 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 I took a look around and I said, "Wait, who is this guy?" Now, mind you, I was drinking heavily during the game. Who is this guy that keeps, you know, he, he seems like he's running around all over the place playing cornerback. And I thought it was Making Seymour. tackles. I thought it was Seymour for a minute. And that's when Reed, our friend from the practice squad, looked at me and goes, no, you, that's Marcus. I go, what do you mean that's Marcus? He goes, yeah, it's Marcus Roberson. Keep your eyes on him. He's a good player. Go, what do you mean he's a good player? So I watched him. And I'll tell you, he looked the part of an NFL corner. This is a guy who apparently has been on the practice squad. Reed's gotten a chance to keep eyes on him. He finished the day as the highest-rated graded player on the field for the Bills, according to Pro Football Focus. Yeah, and you know what? we got to keep hitting on guys like that. And, and you're right. He stood out. I was saying the same thing. Who the heck is number 39? Who is this guy, you know? <laughs> I, and, I mean, he allowed one catch on 27 snaps, had two tackles and a pass breakup. 
Yeah, and you know what? Kudos. Even even Kevon Seymour looked really well, and those are two young, promising corners. Uh, you know, the big question mark, and I'm sure you, you already brought it up on your show, is what are we going to do with your boy, uh, uh, Chris Stefan Gilmore, this off season? And I got to tell you, you know, he's probably walking. Well, the Bills offered him a contract. Supposedly, we offered him ten point five mil. <laughs> Yeah, on five a mil, ten point five a year for five. His response apparently is that he wants top five money. Yeah, and and, and I, I would think say that for with s- that, I would say good riddance. But you know what? The franchise tag is always a possibility. We don't have to pay him uh, all but top five money if we do that. So, well, I, or or you could go or you could go out and draft a guy, right? You could. Uh, you know what's interesting? It all depends on what's going to go on. You know. This free agency is going to be very interesting. This head coach is going to be very interesting. I'm probably in the boat of, of keeping Anthony Lynn. I don't think – and keeping Tyrod Taylor. I want both those guys back. Don't broke – that's not the broken part. And I feel like Anthony Lynn is a better motivator of men than a Rex Ryan. He just needs to bring along a, a competent defensive coordinator, someone who's going to be uh, – who's going to be able to get the job done. No, and you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. That's all it takes. It's just a simple. Ch- don't clean house. Just change who's captaining the boat. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. It's it, you, like you said. This is going to be a really interesting period of time to watch for the Buffalo Bills. It is. Now, as always, we're going to get right into the AFC East roundup. I mean, this is where we get to talk about how everyone else did <laughs> across the division. But the first thing I want to talk to you about, you we just touched on a little bit that tenth pick. Okay. How is it? You think about as Bills fans. Just a few weeks ago, we were talking about winning a few games here and there, making the playoffs, and now we are the owners of the tenth overall pick in the draft. How the fuck does that happen? I'm gonna I'm gonna use a line from Home Alone too, when uh when Kevin McAllister falls on the ice and Marv and Harry are standing over him, and <laughs> the line is my 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 how the tables have turned. Oh Jesus, brutal and. and you know, with that being said, I'm glad we got a top ten pick at least. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> at least we have something to show for our suffering, right? I mean, I you guess know? the question I want to ask you, Gary, is: so if you consider that over the last four seasons, I did the math the other day. So between Doug Marone and Rex Ryan, the Bills have only won eight games, eight in four years, over teams that finished the year with a winning record. And two of each, you know, Doug Marone got one. Rex Ryan got one. So that knocks that number down to six. Six of those wins were against teams that were not quarter. Well, because two of them came against the Patriots when Brady was sitting. So six of those wins are against other teams that had their legitimate number one quarterback in. I I mean, should we have seen this coming? (laughs) Because we hit this stretch of our season, and I remember looking back at it and saying, okay, that's going to be tough, but we can at least go maybe two and two out of three. Yeah. Or at worst, you know, you know, we'll go three out of five, and that yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, I picked the Bills in the beginning of the year. If you, if you remember back on my podcast, as an 8-8 eight eight team, and they finished, obviously, at 7-9. and nine. So my expectations were I like the team. But I believe it's such a rough schedule. And, and, and the truth of the matter is the hard games, the Bills really fought well. And the easy games, the Bills made it 
once again, hard on themselves. You know, the Seattle game, that's a game where we're supposed to get the, uh, our, our faces smashed. In. And, and, and really think about it. That's a game that should have went into overtime and who knows what, what, what happened. <laughs> well, and, and you're not wrong about that, but Hey, at least we got the 10th pick in the draft out of the deal. Uh, yeah. I, you know that. what? And, and I don't want to, I don't want to say what we need because right now it all depends on who are we going to retain? Who are we going to be? Who's going to be our head coach? And, oh yeah. And, uh, there's a ton that needs to go on between now and yeah. then. It really it starts with number five, though, fellas. No, it oh, does. Gonna, You're not wrong. It it absolutely. Says, I like I said, I've seen the light. I, I'm having right. a come to Jesus moment over here right now. Well, there you I've go. seen and, the light after all of my negativity towards Tyrod Taylor. Yes, you are not Tom Brady. You're not Aaron Rodgers. You're not Drew Brees. You're not even Kirk Cousins. But you know what you are is you're better than anything that I have the ability to get my hands on right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to go back. I do not want – don't put me back in the dungeon after I've seen the light. Don't do it. And let's face it, guys. that Tyrod, if he's retained by the Bills, will be the 20th highest paid quarterback in the league. Yeah. It's not like he's breaking is, the bank. Yeah, he's not. So let's be – let's let's put all our ducks in a line and, and let's just – you know, look at it and say, hey, listen, it's not bad. We could do much worse. I mean, think about it. We were, <laughs> I saw much worse on Sunday. We were talking about Mark Sanchez years ago about being our, our quarterback when oh, Rex Ryan God. came in. I mean, that's how – see how far we've come, you know? Well, yeah, but, and so Mark Sanchez, cast off from the Jets. This is my point. There's another franchise. <laughs> they let Mark Sanchez go thinking that things were going to get better, and where did it get them? Yeah, no I mean – I mean, They've been a they've been a quarterback carousel just as bad as the Bills, you know. Oh no, and that's and that's one of the big things. So now we want to move on. Even though we so we won the game on Sunday against the Jets, they're not they're no dreamboat themselves. I mean, no. okay, so Todd Bowles and their GM uh, Mike McCagan, they're going to save their jobs. You know, they they're still going to be here for 2017. But by the same token, Chan Gailey retired probably because he knew if he didn't, they would fire him. So he right. took the high road and just decided to bow out. They also fired what? What was it? Five or six other members of their staff this week. Yeah, Pepper Johnson. There were several other names. Um, but but uh, guys, really, it, it starts. It starts with Todd Bowles is not a competent. Uh, he's pretty much like Rex Ryan. He he doesn't. He's poor at game management. Poor at time management. Um, they're. Really, I mean, if you look at their coaching staff as a whole and their GM, guys, I've been the biggest critic of their GM. They've drafted two second-round picks that have yet to even sniff the field, Devin Smith, Christian Hackenberg. So, you know, and he brought in all these veteran guys like Brandon Marshall and and Ryan Clady, and they've all been busts. They re-signed David Harris to a big deal. The, The Jets are much worse than the Bills. Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, I'm not going to argue that. In fact, that's one of the most interesting parts of this offseason. I mean, you take a look at the core of their team, and it's old. They've aged. Yeah. They Nick Mangold is a guy at the end of his career. You know, he's probably – he's still got some tread left on the tire, but he's on the downside of his career. Yeah. DeBrickishaw Ferguson retired. You replace him with Ryan Clady, who was a ticking time bomb for injury from the get-go. So then they had to put Iljana or whatever the hell his name is out there. And then you know it's just like injury. You know, Matt Forte. You go out and grab Matt Forte, who the Bears saw fit to release. Because look at how good Jordan, how- Jordan Howard is. They saw Jordan Howard and said, okay, we don't need Matt Forte anymore. Let's yeah. get rid of him. 
So they let him go, and he signs with the Jets. And then the Jets make the cardinal mistake of feeding this aging veteran instead of letting a young talent like Bill Al Powell carry carry some of the load. Even if it was a 60-40 split, that would have been acceptable. I was calling for it last week. I was saying it during Sunday's game. The fact that they've underused Bilal Powell to this point in the season is a fireable offense, either for the coach of the G, uh, coach of the offensive coordinator, whichever one is involved with that choice. Yeah, that's that, that's that's a it's a poor use of the talent that you it, have. It really is. I mean, you, you look at all aspects at this point in the career. Not saying that Bilal Powell had a better career than uh, Matt Forte because that's simply not the case. But he's more explosive. He's better at mm-hmm. catching the ball. He has better vision. I mean, everything. He's just a better back at this point in his career than Matt Forte. And, and regardless, they were given – I mean, you look at the game when they played the Bills week two. Matt Forte had over mm-hmm. 30 carries. You know, that's just crazy for a 31-year-old running back. I mean, even LaShawn McCoy, you know, what is the average on the Bills roster? Like, you know, we give him between – The average is 20, maybe? Yeah. 20 it's carries? Nice. He's not getting 30 carries a game, but they were giving it to Matt Forte. And this is a guy coming off a serious injury. Yeah. yeah, and you want to know you want to know about bad QB quarterback situations. Oh man, don't even you know, get me started. We're, we're talking about possibly you know cutting ties with Tyrod Taylor. The Jets, I'm telling you right now, go on their message board, go ask my brother, go ask Fahey, go ask all those Jets fans. They would cream their pants if they got Tyrod Taylor, and they want Tyrod Taylor to get cut so bad. Oh yeah, no. If you if you think about it, the, so Ryan Ryan Fitzpatrick and Geno Smith, they're not expected to be retained. So, what are they really? You know what I mean? Like, what do they have at quarterback? You've got a quarterback that you drafted in the second round who hasn't dressed for what did he? He missed fifteen games, and he was in there on Sunday as kind of a formality because he was the only guy healthy enough to throw the rock. So, yeah. At that point, what does that say about your position as a whole? You're not going to bring back Geno Smith. You're not going to bring back Ryan Fitzpatrick. What are you going to do at quarterback? Right. Yeah, the Jets. The Jets. And if they draft a guy, and then I think they're in the worst position of all. Gary, I hate to cut you off. Yeah. Because they drafted Hackenberg in the second round. You took this kid in the second round. So you used a premium draft pick on a player who's apparently a giant project. Right. So now you're going into a season with no quarterback because he's not ready. And Bryce Petty, what is Bryce Petty? Bryce Petty has proven he can't win football games. So now, yeah, you have a high pick. If you draft another quarterback, though, and you're right, for conventional wisdom would tell you that you, you shouldn't pick a quarterback high again. But I think that the realists out there realize, hey, if you have a crack at landing a guy that you think can be your franchise quarterback, you shouldn't avoid taking that pick just because you took a guy. Yeah. But I think – well, what I was going to say is that I think that by doing so, you're basically – if you took a first-round quarterback, let's say it's Trubinsky, let's say it's Deshaun Watson, let's say it's – you know uh, who else is out there, Chris? There's – and it all depends on who falls where. But if they take a quarterback with that first pick, doesn't that second-round pick in Hackenberg kind of become a waste, Gary? Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of we were actually alluding to that on our show earlier is that it puts Mike McKenna and Todd Bowles in a bad situation because, you know, Jets fans and the Jets media are going to look at that and be like, well, why'd you do that? You know, if this kid had zero chance of starting, if you didn't see a future in this kid, why 
this team is so needy. Why waste one of our high draft picks on a kid that is a huge project? And and Jets fans never liked the pick. Um, I said, I believe that I believe Mike McCagnan is one of the worst GMs in the NFL. I've said that. <laughs> and, and I'm, it's a bold statement. It's it's the God's honest truth, and Jets fans don't like hearing it, but. They did something that they did uh, a couple years ago when they had Rex Ryan. When uh, Mike Tannenbaum was the GM, they brought in a lot of old veterans. They drafted really bad. I mean, Leonard Williams has been their best draft pick, and he was a no-brainer. He kind of oh, fell. I can't believe he fell to you guys. I, I you guys, your brother's team. I was disgusted by that. Yeah. I'm like, why the hell? It was almost like when we allowed J- um, uh, what was it, uh, Gronkowski. To get drafted by the Patriots, and then in the same draft they took Aaron Hernandez. I, I just looked around the room. I'm like, how the hell did this happen? Yeah. How did be- all of, all of these GMs allow them to get like, those two tight ends together? Right. That's what, like I said, we they were gift wrapped at a pick, and 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 basically, you look at a team like Miami who got Tunsil because he dropped, but that's a that's a premium offense alignment that that fell because of a different circumstance. But really, I think. Uh, Mike McCann is not a good GM. Todd Bowles is, is an incompetent head coach. And uh, guys, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm glad that they're in our division. That oh, should be absolutely. Happy. No, and you know what? And it, you know what? You they're, should. Clamoring, they're clamoring for a guy like Tyrod or, or Tony Romo. They want Tony Romo, right? Tony Romo cannot stay healthy with the best offensive line protected. <laughs> and not, and with their, not with their aging offensive line either. Yeah, I mean the Great Wall of Dallas couldn't even keep him upright, and now and now uh, the Jets fans want him. You got to be kidding me! Well, it's funny that you mentioned Laramie Tunsil because that brings us to our next, uh, you know, the next matchup across the AFC East: the Dolphins and Pats. They played in Miami this past weekend, and the Dolphins. I don't know. It looked like they were going to be competitive early in that game, but they could not keep pace with the Patriots' offense, and they ended up losing thirty-five to fourteen. Yeah. Jesus Christ, 35 to 14. You were winning 7 nothing at one point. Yeah, well, you know what, guys? Gotta, we got to keep in mind that these two teams could run into each other in the playoffs. Could? Miami, oh, God. Get get that out of here. The, the, the Miami, well, the, the Miami was, Dolphins I, are not making it out of the first round. I think to win, just to be in all fairness, but you they have a they have a chance of, of, of making it to the next uh, round. And if they do, they will square up with the New England Patriots. I gotta imagine that they ran a lot of vanilla stuff. You're talking about a lot of no. What they ran out there was a half-assed backup quarterback well, as their starting quarterback. Yeah, and and you know what? I got a lot of heat from Miami fans, and the the best thing was a, a fan. I, I I don't have his Twitter handle. He said, "Well, um, Matt Moore is not much of a drop off from Ryan Tannehill." I said, "Are you freaking stupid?" <laughs> I mean, this guy was a street free agent for for. For three times with Miami, three times he was a street free agent, and the last two times, not even another team sniffed at him. He actually got signed. His last contract, he got signed for 800k for this season. And keep in mind, he got signed late. He was an afterthought for Miami when they couldn't find a better backup. They finally said, "All right, we'll bring back Matt Moore. We feel bad. I know you got, <laughs> I know you got three bad. kids and a wife. You know." What, what I what I what I know is this. My takeaway and the only. Only takeaway I have from that game, other than the fact that the Dolphins are in over their head with Matt Moore at quarterback going up against winning football teams, is that Mike Floyd scored a ridiculous touchdown 
mean, he moved four guys out of his way and carried everyone a good seven yards into the end zone for his touchdown. And then on top of it, he comes up. He comes out and just lays down this ridiculous block to spring Julian Edelman for another touchdown. Yeah. Michael Floyd, everyone, I called for it. I put it out there on Facebook. I was like, hey, guys, what do you think about the – why shouldn't the Bills pick this guy up? Even if he never played a meaningful snap for us, he would help us in our kind of equation as far as at the end of the season, it would be uh, towards our compensatory draft pick formula. He would have helped us towards that because of his salary and his impending free agent status. Instead, right. we let the Patriots sign him. The last, right. the team with the 32nd waiver priority <laughs> signed this kid, and now he's out there producing for them. That's my nightmare. Yeah. You let a talented player go for no reason at all when you could have done it for your own shrewd business, you know, shrewd <laughs> reasons. And instead, you let him go to a division rival who is now probably a shoo-in to win the Super Bowl at this point. And he's going to be there to get a ring on that. You could have bettered your team, even if it wasn't with that player, by bringing him in. And to see him over there just killing it in that game with limited practice time with those guys, it just it makes me sick. Yeah, my brother and I were talking about, I think that, you know, Michael Floyd's going to go off these next couple games. And I don't now I don't believe he will be paid just because of his track record off the field. I think that he'll have to sign a prove it deal to whoever team picks him up next year to stay clean. But I completely get what you're sniffing. Why not throw a flyer at him? But I could say this one thing real quick, Drew and Chris. We were such a dumpster fire at that point in time when when he was available that's one less headache that we would need to, to bring him on. I mean, the Bills media. Oh, they, the media would have. But, 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 but the media torched us. And that's why we did. And maybe that's part of the reason they didn't do it. But look at the Patriots. They do it and no one bats an eye at it. I know. It, 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 well, listen, it's a double standard. It is a double standard. And so yeah. that brings me to my last question for you. Okay. This past week, there's been a ton of stuff flying around about Doug Whaley's press conference on Monday. Now, I've watched it in my entirety, and I'm about to break it down for some of our listeners and our fans, and because I, I got a lot to say about this. But I got to ask, what? How do you? How did? If you can give me the 15 second version of how Gary Smith feels about how that press conference went. Well, I truly believe he's genuine, guys. I, I think that you know it was a conversation like they have every week. I mean, they, they've been pretty open that they say that. They have a group conversation, and then Rex asked to speak to Terry in private, and it was a decision that Terry said, hey, listen, I, I plan on letting you go in the offseason, and Rex said, well, then do it right now. You know, Rex has never been a guy to, to shy away from a, from a conflict, and, and I truly believe that this is where I didn't like, and my brother and I brought this up on our show, is the fact that Terry Pagula has the, the balls to fire Rex, like he did. And I, and I and listen, I get that. It was probably a move that needed to be done. But then he says, he sends out his GM who really had no knowledge at the time of the move. All right, you go out and do the press conference. Because Doug Welly was essentially, he was answering questions that he really had little knowledge about. How it all went down. He physically wasn't there. He can't speak on the behalf of, of Rex or Terry. And the media was just having... A field day ripping into him. And I really believe that Doug Whaley made his bread and butter as being a talent evaluator in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh had many talented teams. Uh, 
And a lot of talent was due to the fact what Doug Whaley was able to evaluate. And he's done a, a tremendous job in bringing in street free agents. I know you disagree, but. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't disagree. I mean, I uh, think, I think that, you know, you look at it. He found guys like Lorenzo Alexander. He found Jarrell Worthy. He, yeah. He found, he, he went out there, he found Carlos Williams. Even though he's not here right now, he drafted a kid in the fifth round who came out and did nine yeah. touchdowns for us last I season. I mean, look at it. We didn't, have a, we didn't have a first round pick last year. Roland Darby looked like he could have been de- defensive player of the year. Yeah. John Miller, is, John Miller is great. I was one of the best right guards in the league this season. So these are just some of the picks that a good talent evaluator can do. What I'm saying, but but a long end of the short guys, shame on Terry Pagula, and I, and I like Terry Pagula, for putting Doug Whaley in such an <laughs> awkward position. No, I can, I can definitely appreciate that. Gary, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. Why don't you tell everybody out there who's listening right now where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your podcast? Yeah, um, you can find us. We're AFC East Bros. We're on uh, Stitcher. We're on uh, YouTube. And, uh, yeah, you can find me at AFC underscore East Bro Gary and then uh, on Twitter. And then that's it, guys. That's it. Gary, thank you so much for coming by, man. And, guys, that's the, the that, that is the point that I want to end this week's podcast on. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm sure that there's a lot of other shows this week that are going to take this time to try and recap the season in its entirety, you know, go over its highlights, lowlights, discuss the state of the team heading into the offseason. I'm sorry, but I've decided that there's a more pressing issue that i gotta, I got to touch base on, and that's Doug Whaley's press conference from Monday. Okay, To me, that stands out as a bigger discussion topic than anything else going on right now or anything else that we can recap about this football team. Now, his press conference yesterday, I watched it in its entirety. I sat down, you know, I was writing our show notes for our podcast, and I said, you know what, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to listen to this, and I'm going to make my own notes and just kind of my own observations off of it. I'd like to walk you through my thought process as I watched this press conference. I like the fact that Doug Whaley starts off by saying, a 7-9 finish is not good enough. Yeah, I, I like that. I can get behind that. I mean, Chris, do you disagree? No, we sucked. So, Whaley then claims that he speaks for ownership and the rest of the front office, and that's why they're not present for the press conference. The local media, I, 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 I got to say, the Bills media asked a lot of loaded questions. I mean, the tone of the conversation was pretty much adversarial right off the bat. One reporter simply asked Doug Whaley why he thinks he's a decent GM and why he thinks that he's qualified to fix our football team. I mean, what the hell is that? I get it if you want to ask a guy, hey, so so what is it that you're going to bring to the table that you could do differently? Or what is it that you think you did wrong this season that you could improve upon in the future? You know what I, what I you know what Those I, are constructive questions that you're looking for an answer for. You know what I say, you know what I say to that? Like, what have you done to be a good GM? Did you see us wheel out Kevin Reddick, DJ Tarpley last year at linebacker? Tell me what Lorax has done. Tell me what Zach Brown's done this year. You're Thank welcome. You. You're welcome, <laughs> oh. Sullivan. Secondly. <laughs> but no, that's my point. So you've got this local media who is who comes out and immediately off the bat starts attacking Doug Whaley. And then they proceed to ask the same questions over and over, just phrased differently. 
I mean, I know everyone claims that this press conference was a mess, but I think a lot of that was fueled by the local media's desire to try to one-up each other, which who could ask the harder question? So as the press conference goes on, Doug Whaley claims that he was not part of the decision to fire Rex and that he was informed of it after it was made. Now, he says he wasn't privy to the discussion about Rex Rex's release. <laughs> and so, I mean... He claims that there was a conference call. Rex asked to speak with Terry separately, and so he hung up the phone. And then after the fact, he was informed that Rex Ryan was no longer going to be the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. Now, yes, that seems kind of odd when you look at how other football teams are structured. You are correct. Anyone out there who wants to question that, you're well within your right, because you're right. That's not how normal NFL teams function. The GM typically oversees that. But ultimately, I mean, when it came down to team structure, I mean, Doug Whaley basically laid it out. He laid out how the foundation was between ownership, coach, and GM. Well, I spoke earlier about the structure. The head coach reports to the ownership group. I report to the owners. The head coach doesn't report to me. This and all the following audio comes from buffalobills.com. So that's him admitting that he wasn't the overseer of the head coach. And so then the local media decided to rake Whaley over the coals over this fact. But this isn't new. This isn't new news that nobody else... Everyone at the beginning of the the offseason, two years ago, or a year ago, I guess, when Rex Ryan was hired knew that Doug Whaley was not solely responsible for hiring Rex Ryan. That this was a hire made by the Whaley's, by Russ Brandon, I mean by the Whaley's, the Pagulas, Russ Brandon, and by Doug Whaley. Doug Whaley had some input. Russ Brandon had some input, but ultimately it ended up with the Pagulas. And they were the ones who approved the hire of Rex Ryan. Well, there was also the story of Russ Brandon uh, talking to Rex like, Oh, the Pagulas love red wine and all of this stuff to schmooze him over. So Russ Brandon was also on board with hiring Rex Ryan. So it was really no input from Whaley. Well, I wouldn't say no, but the fact is it wasn't his decision alone. So I hate the fact that everyone came out and decided to jump all over Whaley for the fact that he he didn't quote unquote know that Rex was going to be fired. I'm sure on some level Doug Whaley knew that the the coach's job, the coach was on the hot seat. But you're right. Since he wasn't the one who made the pulled the trigger to hire him, how can he be the one to pull the trigger to fire him or be privy to any of those conversations? Terry Pagula himself called it an executive decision. I, I mean, that brings me to one of the biggest problems I have with this entire thing. Multiple reporters made a point of questioning. And I mean, I'm not, not even just asking the question, but pointedly asking the question why the Pagulas weren't present to answer for any of any of these decisions that apparently weren't made by Doug Whaley. Whaley went on to kind of assert that it was because the team only needed one voice and that he is the spokesperson for the organization at this point in time as the GM. For the football operations. For the football operations. That was the point of the press conference. The reporters went out of their way to point out the hypocrisy of that statement, given that he seems to have had not had any input in some of the most important decisions that have been made in recent history. 
And then if that's the case, he can't claim to be the spokesperson. Now, that's one point I will say is correct. You know, they're, they're allowed to question that. They are. You know, I don't want to... I don't want to make this. I don't want to make this sound like I'm completely against the local media. That's a, that is a question that they are able to ask. It's just when you take it into the context of the entire conversation, it the whole thing started wrong from the get go, and this just came out as more of them raking him over the coals. When it came to the multiple leaks that acted as a distraction for fans and the team over the last week of the season, when it came to Rex Ryan's status, Whaley had this to say. Well, that's not something that uh, I subscribe to. I don't think that our organization uh, wants to be someone that uh, has reports coming out of their own building. Um, we can't confirm that the reports are coming from our building. Maybe you guys can, and please do confirm it with me. Um, but that's not the modus operandi that we subscribe to, and we're going to investigate it and try to shut it down as quickly as possible. That audio comes to you from buffalobills.com. I mean, so he's he's basically explained that it didn't come from him. He wants to know about it. Obviously, the media's not going to do that. They're protect. They're going to protect whoever their source was. I just that conversation led directly into the next line of questioning that just pissed me off. Whaley doesn't feel that our recent turnover of coaches or this seeming dysfunction would preclude a qualified candidate from taking a head coaching job here in Buffalo. When the media pressed him on the subject. And when, when you consider the tone that they took when asking him about this, I thought it was funny to hear Doug Whaley answer the question like this. I don't because there's going to be a narrative no matter what we have done that day that painted us any picture that you guys wanted to paint us. <laughs> That's from buffalobills.com. You guys, he's, he's hitting the nail on the head here. One of the things that I think gets away from people is that the local media tends to take things like this and run with them. I mean, he's Doug Whaley's not perfect. I'm not out here to do, I'm not going to say that he's done the best job I've ever seen a GM do. But one of the things that made me the most frustrated with listening to this interview, listen, I went to journalism school, okay? I've never worked as a professional journalist. I've never had to go out there and try to grind out articles every week, every day, do interviews and do things to catch the public's attention for money. That's not how I earn my paycheck. I work in finance now. So I guess maybe I don't know because I haven't had to walk in their shoes. I don't know what it takes to get to that point. But one of the most frustrating things that I've, I've just in this interview alone from our local media is that it seems like they came into this with a very combative attitude. They wanted to make this difficult because they're, I don't want to call it clickbait, but they're feeding into the negative energy that a lot of our fan base is feeling right now. You know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of frustrated Bills fans out there. So the media knows this and they know that they have to, they, they, they have to get paid too. People have to read their stuff in order for them to keep their job. So instead of trying to keep a level or at least an even-handed approach to this conversation it seems like a lot of it was just an attack on Whaley himself you know I mean one of the things I, I thought was again just to prove that I'm not being a homer here one of the questions that was asked that I had I had some interest in was why do you have an inability to work with your coaches now Doug Whaley went on to claim that he has a healthy working relationship with all of his coaches but I think that's arguable at best considering that all reports to the contrary have existed for the last four years. 
Remember the the stories about Chris Doug Marone and Doug Whaley getting into a screaming match at training camp. Yeah, I remember Doug um, Doug Marone not being on board with Sammy Watkins. Oh, he stormed you, out of the draft room. You see that if you go back and watch the draft and look at our war room, Doug Marone is nowhere to be found. No, the story is that he stormed out of the draft room when he found out that Doug Whaley was going to trade away another first-round pick for Sammy Watkins. Because he said there, you don't trade away that type of capital for a skill player. We traded to Cleveland. They didn't use it. <laughs> But the fact is, is Doug Marone didn't like it, and they had a disagreement with that. And again, I mean, at the end of the day, maybe that's nothing. Maybe those stories are just outliers, and the rest of the working relationship is really healthy. But I'll say that those types of stories don't just come from nowhere. And yes, the press can run away with these types of things and make their own narratives sometimes. Where there's smoke, there's usually fire. Another thing Doug Whaley said that I had to scratch my head at was that he defended the strength and conditioning staff. Now that is something, and and the medical staff, that is something in and of itself that I have just railed against for the better part of the last six or seven years. They're holdovers from the Levy era, some of them, and they're not all qualified to be here. I I can't believe that. When you look at the fact that we are one of the most injured football teams year over year over year, it's just, it's not... It's not, it's not believable. But he says it because that's the company line and he gets paid to, t- to just tow it. Now, I, I don't know. I just, you look at the things that he's saying, though, throughout the course of this press conference, he's trying to answer the questions as truthfully as possible. I mean, when it came to Tyrod Taylor, this is what he had to say. I would be upset if he wasn't upset. He's a competitor. That's what you want in your starting quarterback. And he had a tremendous year. We set him down as a business decision to look at the other people at that position, the quarterback position, because E.J. Manuel's coming up as a a free agent, and we have a young guy. So it was a business decision for the betterment and absolutely evaluation process of the position going forward. Again, that audio comes from buffalobills.com. The fact is, I called for that move weeks ago. I said... He is owed money. On this podcast, I said he is Tyrod Taylor is owed money if he plays in that game and gets injured. That means that it's going to severely hamper their coaching search because if he gets hurt, much like Colin Kaepernick, he is going to be owed that money. And so they can't just get rid of him, even if they decide to start someone else. So it's a business decision. They're protecting themselves because they know that they're going into an offseason where they have to try to sell this team to a new head coach. You do not want to try to be selling that team to a head coach saying, hey, well, we've got one quarterback on the roster who's just kind of, he was our former starter, he was here, he's still here because of his contract, but we kind of want to move on from him. If you don't like him. If you don't like him, we'll try to do whatever you want to do, but just know that we're anchored with his salary for the next three years. No head coach or prospective head coach wants to hear that. So this move was a move to protect the franchise as a whole. And yes, I can see it as being a dick move. I can see how it's perceived as a slight to Tyrod Taylor. You're not wrong. But they did what they had to do, which is a very shrewd move, which is what good teams do. They protect themselves against bad decisions. And in this move, I think that they made, I think they absolutely made the right one. 
you know, whether Tyrod Taylor likes it or not. One of the other things that I took away from Doug Whaley's press conference is that he emphasized the fact that the head coaching search is very much open and that reports that have come out stating Anthony Lynn has the inside track to the job, they're kind of premature. He, he went out of the way to emphasize the fact that he is solely handling the head coaching search. Terry and Kim are going to have some degree of input. I, I mean, at the end of the day, though, this is his show to run. Yeah. He's not going to have Russ Brandon or a committee looking over his shoulder when he's going to do this. Yet, when asked about what would happen going forward, he told reporters that the new power structure would be decided on when the hire was made official. Now, you heard his comments from earlier about the power structure. And I think that's one of the most powerful takeaways from this entire press conference is that before he knew what the power structure was, the power structure was that the head coach would report to the owners. He would singularly report to the owners and Russ Brandon played some role that no one knows how to define. That's not a functional front office. And Chris, can you agree with that? Yeah, I don't see why. Okay, the head coach reports to the owners, and I'm the GM, and I report to the owners. Wouldn't it be head coach reports to the GM, GM reports to the owner? So that's one of the things that I I think was my biggest takeaway was when they asked him what would the power structure be going forward, he he just responded, hey, the new power structure is going to be decided on when the hire gets made official. One of my other takeaways from this, this press conference is that Jerry Sullivan could be heard bitching about his lack of questions or his ability to ask questions and how he kept losing his place in line throughout the entire, the entire press conference, which I think is wholly unprofessional. And then Bucky Gleason, another member of the local media, went out of his way to repeatedly ask his questions in just an overly contentious manner. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, you're going to ask a question of this guy who's standing in front of you, and that's his job. His job is to come out here, and he knows it. He knows he's coming out here to be your punching bag. He's going to try to just tell you, hey, hey, we're going to try to be better. You know, we're, we're going to try to do more in the next season. We're going to improve upon the things that we didn't do well this offseason. But that's not to say that our offseason was a complete failure. We had some setbacks. But you've got guys like Bucky Gleason in the crowd who would ask a question and then follow it up with a thinly veiled criticism and a sarcastic follow-up comment. Whaley routinely brought up the term narrative. I mean, you guys heard it in his own quote earlier. And at one point, he flat out told reporters, you guys will create your own. You will. So he's right. There's nothing more that he can do as far as trying to answer their questions and dispel whatever black cloud might be hanging over the franchise right now. I feel like this is more of a manufactured thing than anything else. And then in the most unprofessional thing of the entire day, I mean, people talk about athletes going on social media and knowing when not to post things. During the entirety of the press conference, I, I, I'm looking at Deadspin right now. Their article is just, they have a stream of all of the local Buffalo media just tweeting just some of the most absurd stuff. Just, again, combative, argumentative things between the media and the franchise. I mean, <laughs> Mike Harrington. Whaley just said, I didn't need any explanation from the owner about the firing of the coach. I'm just astounded by this. 
Why are you astounded by it? The owner of the team made it, the owner of the team who hired the coach made a decision. What is there to be astounded by? Doug Whaley was not responsible for the hire. It's not like Doug Whaley hired Rex Ryan and he was fired over his head. You know, you know, <laughs> Terry Pagula stepped in and fired Rex Ryan behind Doug's back. That's not the case. And everyone knew this coming into the season. And yet for some reason right now, they act like it's such a big deal. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Jay Skursky, Doug Whaley says he hasn't thought about the Bills firing Rex Ryan. I'm honestly speechless about that. What is he supposed to think about? His boss made a decision. Is he supposed to question it? Chris, when you go to work, does your boss make decisions that he doesn't consult you on? Probably. I mean, I I told you I told you earlier off off air recording that somebody I work with uh basically crashed a machine. Now, if my boss comes in tomorrow and thinks that's a fireable offense, eh. he's not going over to my head. I don't have the authority over <laughs> the person that did this. If he's going to fire him, then okay. One of your I have a job. One of your coworkers who hi- who was hired by somebody else made him made a mistake. They fucked up, and now they're if they get punished for it, that's not on you. No, it is not. <laughs> for everyone out there who thinks at this point in the show that I'm being a homer. Or that I've just got this boner for Doug Whaley. And I'm just trying to make excuses. I want you to consider something. Terry Pagula didn't make an appearance with the local media here in Buffalo. And has routinely refused to hold conferences with him. But he went out of his way to give John Warrow of the Associated Press an, an exclusive interview. In which he touched on almost every single one of the same topics that Doug Whaley did in his press conference. <laughs> Terry Pagula, he, he first off states, Whaley was correct in telling reporters that he was unaware of the decision to fire Rex. He, he called it, quote unquote, an executive decision. By his own word, Rex Ryan asked him to just be straight with him regarding his future. And that when he was honest and told him, hey, we as, a t- we as an ownership group don't think that you're doing the job that we needed you to do. He asked to be, and that we're going to bench Tyrod as a precautionary measure so that our next coach isn't saddled with this contract, he opted to be fired that week instead of play the rest of the season out. So when people are attacking Doug Whaley for not knowing about that conversation, why would he? He's already laid out the structure for you. He had no part in that. Okay, And then he suggested that Anthony Lynn take over for him. Because he knew which one of his staff would have been the best fit to take that over. I mean, this is all a byproduct of the ownership and the front office structure that hired Rex in the first place. So I don't know why the local media is attacking Doug Whaley solely over this matter. You know, Everyone knew it. Here is Mike Florio talking about the situation on Pro Football Talk. When you own a football team, look, most owners weren't in the football business. Now, some teams, they have been passed down from generation to generation, the Roonies in Pittsburgh, for example, but Terry Pagula made his money elsewhere, and then he bought a team. You have to trust people who are experts in football, and to make a decision to fire a head coach without any input from Doug Whaley, how do you do that? Now, 
It's quite possible Terry Pagula got his input from Russ Brandon. He's a guy who has been trying to run the team, I believe, kind of from the shadows because that's the best way to do it. You can claim credit when things are going well and when things aren't going well, hey, I'm not running the team. I think Russ Brandon is the missing link here between Whaley, who's essentially a glorified scout, and ownership, which really is over its skis when it comes to running a football operation. Bottom line is Rex Ryan is out. And folks in Buffalo have to be wondering, will the next guy have any chance to prevail? And will the next guy who is offered the job even want it in light of this sense that something isn't right with the Buffalo Bills? That's Mike Florio from ProFootballTalk.com. And he's not wrong. I mean, he's not. You're right. That's a dysfunctional environment for any kind of coach, owner, and whatever the hell Russ Brandon is kind of relationship just died. You're and then you throw a GM in there who apparently gets left out of the loop of these kind of things. That's a bad situation for everybody involved. But for everyone out there who would prefer to focus on the doom and gloom that's being thrown around right now by the local media, here's a thought. Maybe the fact that Russ Brandon has been removed from this head coaching search entirely and that Doug Whaley has finally been given the reins to find his own coach sole control over the coaching search. Maybe that's a sign that the Pagulas, while still being relatively green as the owners of sports franchises, are learning what it takes to build a successful power structure that promotes accountability, rather than one that's so convoluted that no one knows who's really in charge. I, I mean, yeah, maybe that's not the case, but why, did, why is it that everyone wants to approach this from such a negative light? We're all human. You're right. The Pagulas didn't know anything about sports ownership. But is it not conceivable that maybe they've learned a thing or two? Maybe they're learning that they have to trust their GM. You know, they can't be the one to pick a guy just based off the pomp and circumstance he shows up into town with. Or the, you know, the universal coaching appeal that this guy has. Maybe it's on the guy who picks all of the players. You know, the guy who's, you're right, he is a glorified scout. The GM is the guy who's in charge of making sure that the right talent lands on his team. It's his job to pick the coach that he thinks can do the best with that talent. So right now is the perfect time for them to transition to, I don't know, a power structure that makes more sense where Doug Whaley has control over that. And he even said himself, the power structure isn't set. It'll be determined once the head coaching decision is made. So the fact that everyone wants to rake Doug Whaley over the coals, especially the members of the Buffalo News and other parts of our local media, it's Bush League. It's amateur. You you, you guys are trying to generate headlines by beating up a guy who's giving himself up his opinata for you. I mean, that's, that's low. I'm sorry. And then in his conference call with John Warrow of the Associated Press, Terry Pagula closed the call with a quote that I like. He just says, there's no dysfunction. Everyone is on the same page. We're just busy busting our asses. Everyone wants to paint this picture that we're a mess right now. And I think a lot of that feeds off the negative vibe of a lot of Bills fans. And I think that's what a lot of the local press thinks will sell papers or or sell clicks and get people to read their articles. I don't know what it is. What I do know is that I've never been a professional journalist, but I went to journalism school and I know what integrity is. 
I, I mean, it's worth noting that Terry Pagula sends Doug Whaley out there to deal with the local media and doesn't give interviews to outlets like the Buffalo News. But he has no problem doing interviews with WBEN, the Associated Press, other reputable outlets. Some are going to come back and say it's because he doesn't want to have to answer any tough questions. But I think it's more plausible that he simply doesn't need or want to subject himself to some of the hacks that work <laughs> that work here in Buffalo, who have proven that they don't mind coming into interviews or conferences with their questions already answered in their minds, their narratives already established, and are just looking to dredge up some negativity that they can turn into clickbait. With little in the way of actual content, it's just full of negativity. You know, you're going to take some negative point about the team and flesh it out into 500 words and put it on the internet. I can do that, but I choose not to because I care about this football team. And I think that even with all of this nonsense going on, we're going in the right direction. I mean, half of these articles, it's just, can can one of these guys put out something that's just, and I think that's what it comes down to. There's too few members of the local media who who can put out actual content, who are willing to ask questions and hear the answer and then gauge their opinion based on the response. Instead of coming into it with their opinion already formulated, the narrative already written, I mean, and just are ready to put out some contrived and perceived narrative. And yes, Bucky Gleason and Jerry Sullivan, I'm talking about you. Hacks. Beer watch. <laughs> How many beers you got over there, buddy? Oh, Jesus. Count them. I see one. I see one on the counter. One, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine. Nine You're beers. Nine beers deep, folks. The fact is, this is what talking about the Buffalo sports media does to me. I can't take it anymore. Guys, there is, there are, like I said, these people are all human. The Pagulas are human. They're first-time sports franchise owners. Is it it impossible to believe that maybe they're learning? Maybe they're learning. Shut up, Drew. Beer watch. Beer watch. I'm so mad at you. This is the end of our season, our podcast season. We've done beer watch. You've said you've had nine. I've I've done five in a... Angry Orchard for Gary, you asshole. That puts you 176 on the season. You alone, Drew, drank 176 beers. I've drank 93. Do you know what those two add up to? <laughs> what do they add up to? 269, you guessed it correctly. <laughs> right on the button. Oh, who wins Beer Watch for the year? Beer watch. Ladies and gentlemen. We're done. We had 269 beers this season. Drew guessed it correctly. I guessed it on the button. On the button. Holy shit. I said 225. So when I go to the the beer can depository this week, I'm going to get... What was that, say $13.45 in return? That's a 12-pack of moose head, thank you. A 12-pack of moose head. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for coming and checking us out. Guys, I know things look dark right now, but you got to stay. That, that's what we're here Stay for. the course. Like, like I said, Steve Tasker said it best during this week's broadcast. Bills fans are 90% scar tissue. You're never, you can't shake me. <laughs> 
I'll be critical of what I want when I want to, but you'll never get, you'll never break me. This season hasn't done it. <laughs> Next season won't do it. The last 20 years with the Bills seasons can't, hasn't done it. I'll be here no matter what. Chris, what about you? You in? Hey, I guess someone's got to record your dumb voice. <laughs> Folks, from all of us here, I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Gary Smith was our guest, and this has been the Rockpile Report. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.